Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Welcome back to another week of travel adventure. (laughs) Make sure you sign up for the newsletter, connect with me on social media, and join the travel club. You can do it all at travelingculturati.com. But I have to tell you, the uh, social media pages, that's where it's all happening. That's where it's at. (laughs) You definitely want to connect with me on social media. I recently went to Croatia on a site inspection, and I'm really excited to share my experience with you. So today, I'm taking you on tour with me. I collected some interviews with the various guides that I met from Split to Croatia. It's all called the Dalmatia region. And so, yeah, it's all wild. And so you're going to hear church bells. You're going to hear background noise, sometimes heavy winds. It's happening right there in the moment. And I really wanted to share that experience with you as I was experiencing it. So I fell in love with Croatia and I hope you will too. Actually, I think you will. Believe me. (laughs) We'll also have travel news which we like to have every week, Javon's Travel Minute, and the Culture Report. So let's go ahead and get into some travel news. The U.S. passport application system is backed up once again. So buckle up for a very long wait. Hopefully you don't need a passport right away. And you took heed. Earlier this year, when I said to you, if you are in need of a passport or even are thinking about travel and your passport is nearing the end, because remember, we have that validity period, apply for your passport right away because it's still looking grim. It has gone from eight to 11 weeks to 13 weeks to 15 weeks to, well, we don't know how long it's going to take us to process your passport. And it is a grim outlook. They have a record processing of 500,000 applications a week. And it is on track to top last year's 22 million passports issued, according to the State Department. The State Department is citing the issue is really COVID. By March, concerned travelers began asking for answers and then demanding help, even going to their representatives in the House and the Senate because of the shortage. But the U.S. Secretary of State is saying that COVID, the bottom basically dropped out of the system and they haven't been able to truly recover. There were times where the processing time got better, but they really haven't been able to truly recover with staffing because when COVID happened and passports weren't being processed at all, employees and contractors were reassigned to other areas. And so trying to get the staff back has been a big challenge. So you can really expect long waits. For example, a family from Dallas, Texas has cited that in early March, they applied for four passports ahead of their family vacation. That was to occur the end of June. And the initial wait time was eight to 11 weeks. And they thought, okay, good. We'll still have our passports a month ahead of our travels. Well, then they got a notification that it would be 13 weeks. And then two weeks prior to their travel, they were still being processed. Trying to call, you can be on hold for 90 minutes or more. But fortunately for this particular family, they did have a happy ending. They got their passports just ahead of their travel. It took a lot of doing, a lot of extra stress, a lot of extra phone calls and manipulation and all of that, but they did finally get their passports by acquiring an appointment. So don't delay. You really want to make sure that number one, if you need a passport, you definitely want to do expedited services. They too are delayed. If you try to within two weeks, of your travel, four weeks if you need a visa, call to get an appointment so that you can go there and get your passport either within the same day or within a week. You want to try and do that. It is going to take a lot of energy and effort to do it. And you may even need to go to another city to make that happen. But yes, plan, plan, plan. And hopefully 
you did take heed earlier this year when I said, get a new passport, get a passport, get a renewed passport now. Well, talking about airlines and passports and all of these things, let's talk about your passenger rights, what you're going to need to know during a travel meltdown, especially with the airlines. Yes, hundreds of thousands of passengers have experienced flight delays and cancellations recently, and this is a very busy summer, so expect to have more. So it's not necessarily a question of if, but when maybe. Right now, airline passengers in the U.S. don't really have what's called true rights during what is called especially an act of God. The airlines are pretty much exempt from all of that in the event of an act of God. Let's say, for example, bad weather. And airlines usually will just cite bad weather because it then becomes a snowball effect. And if they're not prepared, then they just have a meltdown. So in extreme weather situations, passenger rights really don't apply. But the Department of Transportation is really trying to change that. Now, this is where having a travel credit card that offers trip protection and covers weather-related scenarios can help, in addition to getting travel insurance. The card can offset the cost of unexpected expenses that you may occur, like a hotel overnight, ground transportation, unexpected meals, things of that nature. And while the current list of airline passenger rights is very small, some rules are in place to help with travel disruptions. So you are entitled to a refund. In accordance with the Department of Transportation policy, every airline passenger is entitled to a cash refund when their flight is canceled or significantly delayed or when the schedule is significantly changed. That's, of course, if you don't fly. And that goes for weather-related disruptions and those that are technically the airline's responsibility like maintenance issues or mechanical issues. But of course, there are caveats. You're only entitled to a refund for unused portions of your trip. If you fly, for example, from Chicago to Washington, D.C., and your trip gets canceled and you decide to take the train home, you are owed a refund only for the return portion of your trip, not anything that you have flown. The Department of Transportation does not actually define what constitute a significant delay or schedule change, but the Biden administration is trying to change that. At the moment, the federal government does not technically require airlines to compensate passengers for flight delays that are the airline's responsibility. Biden is trying to change that as well. However, most U.S. airlines will provide meals, cash, or vouchers when delays cause a wait of three hours or longer. Additionally, most major carriers guarantee hotel accommodations when delays lead to an unexpected overnight stay. And then again, you really have to consider the caveat of weather. If anything is related to weather, the airlines can say, not our fault. It's an act of God. You're pretty much on your own. That's why it's very important to have travel insurance. As far as compensation for Airline cancellations, just like with delays, airlines are not required to compensate passengers for canceled flights. However, most U.S. carriers do provide some guarantees for cancellations deemed to be their responsibility. All 10 carriers evaluated by Department of Transportation guarantee meals, with the exception of one airline that's Frontier. And then this is, of course, if the wait is three hours or longer. And then, of course, you know, if you buy an airline ticket and something happens within 24 hours, you immediately can cancel the reservation for a full refund. There is a 24-hour window for all tickets purchased. Then there are tarmac delays. There were some requirements placed on tarmac delays back in 2010 when it just got out of control. I don't know if you remember that. But yes, some time limits were put on there for two hours what happens if you're sitting on the tarmac providing food and water and then three hours where you're supposed to be able to get off of that airplane yes because there were people that just were stuck for hours upon hours i don't know if you remember that but i certainly do the new airline passenger rights is under consideration and it will address all of these issues and put the united states more in line with the european union and their provision known as eu 261 and that will provide more protections and compensations for travelers sir richard branson sat down with Condé nas traveler talking about what's next in travel and how he changed the travel industry 
On how the airline industry has changed since he entered the tourism industry, Branson says, Looking back 38 years, the experience was abhorrent. I mean, there wasn't any entertainment, and the cabin crew never cracked a smile. You were lucky if you had cold chicken dropped in your lap. Everyone was puffing on a cigarette, (laughs) and the seats didn't even slightly recline. After Virgin Atlantic entered the market and provided a service that was well-received, other airlines began to imitate it. The public today wants to get away from the guilt associated with using aircraft, and they are attempting to figure out how to make flying environmentally beneficial. On entering the cruise industry with Virgin Voyages, wanting to improve the cruising experience as he did with the airline industry and why it was difficult, Branson recounted, They started with making a list of everything a cruise line should be. They ultimately decided to rent out Abramovich's yacht to more individuals. Let's build the world's most entertaining yacht. Sadly, we do not permit children, but there is no denying that Virgin has set itself apart in this regard. We now have the room to build jogging tracks, basketball courts, amazing fitness centers, amazing massage rooms, and all the other things that grown-ups desire. We also have the friendliest crew you could imagine on board from 64 different countries. And on space travel, Branson says, there's a sizable wait list of people who wish to travel to space. We will be able to deliver them there if we can continue to lower the environmental cost of doing so. In his opinion, a spacecraft will have reached Mars in 20 years and may be working on a moon project. Some more good news for Virgin Atlantic. They're set to join Sky Team. In early 23, Virgin Atlantic will join Sky Team's Team Alliance and will do so as the only airline from the United Kingdom. It offers Virgin Atlantic customers a unified customer experience at more than 1,000 locations worldwide. And it also brings Virgin Atlantic to the Sky Team Alliance. So that means you'll have an expanded system and interline agreements in place with a broad range of airlines. Well, that's all I've got for travel news. And when I come back, I'll have Javon's Travel Minute. And I'm taking you on a tour with me through Croatia from Split to Dubrovnik, the Dalmatian region. Hi, I'm Yolanda, nurse, founder, and publisher of RM Bound, your resource guide on becoming a nurse. Visit us on rmbound.com. I wrote RN Bound for anyone considering entering into nursing. Whether you are at the start of your work life and thinking about majoring in nursing, or you've had a career and are thinking about switching to the nursing profession, RN Bound has answers to your questions. Visit us on rnbound.com. Becoming a nurse is a serious undertaking. You invest time, money, and effort, so you need to make sure it's the right path. Visit us on rnbound.com. In RN Bound, learn what's expected of you as a nurse, how to prepare for the profession's biggest exam like the NCLEX, and a whole lot more. Visit us on rnbound.com and order your copy today. Also available on amazon.com and available on Kindle. RN Bound, your resource guide on becoming a nurse. Visit us on rnbound.com. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Are you planning to travel? Looking for connections with airlines, resorts, hotels, cruise ships, new fashions, or places for family reunions and getaways? Join us October 7th and 8th, 2023 for the Port of Go International Destination and Travel Expo. It's taking place at the Renaissance Convention Center in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. The Port of Go is your all-things travel expo designed for everyone to discover where to go and the best deals. To learn more, visit portofgo.com. That's P-O-R-T of go.com. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Head on over to the website, travelingculturati.com, and while you're there, connect with me on social media. And now, Javon's Travel Minute. I just love Travel Tip Tuesday on our Facebook page. 
Every Tuesday is Travel Tip Tuesday when we invite our followers to post their travel tips. And I love the tips you share. It's a great way to share information and to pick up new tips. So if you haven't already, connect and like the Traveling Culture Roddy Facebook page and join in the conversation. We would certainly like to hear your tips as well. Maybe you can pick up some new ones too. For example, my favorite tips from last week's post. Rose says, first, her credit card company must produce miles that she can use to cover flight and or hotel rooms as needed. So making sure that your purchases are earning you miles. And she's nuts about nuts. (laughs) So she always has pistachios, walnuts, almonds in a Ziploc bag. And then of course, with group trips as well, she recommends rooming with people by personality and cleanliness. Now, Brittany says that she always calls her bank to make sure they know that she's traveling, especially when she's going international. This is to avoid purchases being blocked while out enjoying your trip. You don't want to get that declined message just because you didn't call your bank and they think it's a fraudulent attempt. Here's another one to pack your shoes in shoe bags. This is of course for sanitation, to keep your dirty soles off of the rest of your clean clothes. Also pack a bag for dirty laundry, just an empty bag that you put in your luggage so that when you return, you can put all of your dirty laundry in that one bag. And while you're doing that, don't forget a very large plastic Ziploc bag in case you go to a destination and you want to get that last swim in and you have your bathing suit and it's still a little wet you can put it in that Ziploc bag and Rose chimed in and said that she never leaves home without two to three gallon plastic bags when she's traveling and Sandra says that she likes to take red licorice and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich she says it's really sunflower butter and two red delicious apples on long flights. The apples clean your teeth until you can brush your teeth. Okay, and don't forget your playlists in your device so that you can have your music with you. This is Javon, and that was your Travel Minute. Today I'm taking you on tour with me to Croatia. I recently went for a site inspection for our upcoming trip It's on a super yacht with only 18 cabins, so it'll be a small luxury group in true Traveling Culturati style. It's private, so only we are on that yacht. I traveled from Split to Dubrovnik and visited other islands via ferry. And of course, the group in August will be traveling in style via the private super yacht. So let's start with a little history of Croatia first, a little history and culture. It is certainly rich in history and culture. At first glance, you may not think of the destination as diverse, but it is. It's Mediterranean with blended cultures and history that are centuries. And then of course, in their more recent history, just decades old. Remember, Croatia became a country just 30 years ago with its split from Yugoslavia. So here's the brief history. Croatia at one time, the Roman province of Pannonia was settled in the 7th century by the Croats. They converted to Christianity between the 7th and 9th centuries and adopted the Roman alphabet. The Hungarians conquered the country after a civil war in 1091. And then the two nations were united in 1102, with Croatia maintaining its autonomy. The Hungarians were defeated by the Turks, and Croatia, along with Hungary, elected Austrian Archduke as their king in 1526. Austro-Hungarian Kingdom was established in 1867, after which Croatia became part of Hungary until the collapse of Austria-Hungary in 1918 following its defeat in World War I. October 29, 1918, Croatia proclaimed its independence and joined Montenegro, Serbia, and Slovenia to form the Kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes. The name was changed to Yugoslavia in 1929. Germany invaded Yugoslavia in 1941. After Germany was defeated in 1945, Croatia was made a republic of the newly communist nation of Yugoslavia. After the death of the Yugoslavian leader in 1980, Croatia focused again on independence. In June 1991, 
the Croatian parliament passed a declaration of independence from Yugoslavia. Now, while the region was ruled for centuries by various foreign powers, Croatia remains a Western-oriented culture, always has. Now, let's talk about the geography. Croatia is on the Adriatic Sea with 1,100 miles of coast. It has 1,246 islands and islets have coastline of 2,522 miles. It's about the size of West Virginia. And part of Croatia is barren, rocky region in the Dinaric Alps, but further to the north is very fertile land. So now, come along with me. First up, I'm talking to Pero on Split. I'm Pero, the guide in Split. We had a wonderful tour right now. We were walking in Split for two hours and we see a beautiful architecture, old buildings, Diocletian Palace, the UNESCO Palace that was built in the year 305, and it's now a part of the city of Split. So let's start with the history of Split and how it came to be, because we certainly have the history of Croatia, a fairly new country of 30 years this year, but Split has some significant history in Croatia as well. Of course, Croatia is a new country, but it is a continuation of the people living in this area from millennia. So in Split you can find even a Bronze Age culture, you can find uh, parts of the Greek culture, but most important is the Roman culture, part of the ruins from the Roman times. One very big city called Salona was just only five kilometers from Split, very important city in the Roman times, where Emperor Diocletian came from. He was a significant Roman emperor who lived in the third century. And at the end of third century, he resigned his throne and built a retirement home right here where we are sitting and speaking. And we call that today Diocletian's Palace. That palace survived the time for more than 1,700 years. It's still here because after the Roman Empire was collapsed, people continued to live inside of his palace started a new Christian city. So where we were walking, we saw part of the palace, Diocletian's mausoleum, the basements. That is all today still visible in Split. And that is why the palace is UNESCO World Heritage Site. Later, Christians and people who lived here, Croatians are part of the Slavic group of people. They continue to live inside of his palace. And you can see not only Roman, but you can see the part of architecture from Romanesque period, Renaissance, Baroque, later from uh, Austro-Hungarian period. So before Austro-Hungarian was the Venetian Republic, then Austro-Hungarian period. Even the communism, ex-Yugoslavia was a communist country. You can see architecture from communist time inside of the palace. Today, Croatia is a 30-year-old country. We don't rebuild the old city anymore, so everything is a mixture of different styles from different periods of time. One thing I can certainly say, and one thing I love, is that it is a walkable city. We were able to do, and I'm sure we did a shortened version of it, but within just uh, a couple of hours, all centered around the palace. But we saw some wonderful things, especially that gave us an insight to the culture of Split here. One thing is that we're right on the Adriatic Sea, so that's very much a part of Split. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yes, this historical Split, it was not that big. For Second World War, Split had only 30,000 people. So this city center, very small area. Today, Split is much bigger, but it also expanded into that different territories. But that is where most of the people live. But because this small center was the historical center, that is where people gathered, that is everything was happening inside of this small area. When you come to Split, you can explore the old city for maybe two, three days. Very small area, but much to see next to the old city is Adriatic Sea, a small hill with forest where you can cycle, walk. The old Split today, of course, is a tourist site, so many restaurants, traditional restaurants, souvenir shops, hotels, Airbnbs but also the city where the Adriatic Sea, uh, next to the old city, you can walk and enjoy the life. Sorry, I, I don't know if you asked that. You can edit, edit this. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to talk about the culture of fishing and the Adriatic Sea. So, of course, Dalmatia, this region of Croatia, 
historical region is called Dalmatia. So your listeners know about a dog that was in the movie, 101 Dalmatian, and that dog originates from historical region called Dalmatia. Dalmatia is a name from Roman times. And today, people from South Croatia still identify as Dalmatians. So many songs are sang about Dalmatia. Dalmatia doesn't have a lot of soil where we can grow big farms. It's mostly rocky area, but we have uh, many islands, reefs that are full of fish. So historically, fish was very important source of food for people. Not just the source of food, also the export. Export. So the sardines were catch salted for generations. All that tradition is carried on. So today you have these traditional restaurants that serve the food mostly from the sea. And Adriatic Sea is still fished. Unfortunately, this new fishing fleet are not traditional. They want to get as much as they can. That is not only Adriatic, all the world is like that. So most of the seas in the world are overfished. But many of the parts of the coastline still have plenty of fish. And we can make it sustainable in the coastal area. And fishing market, we were walking next one of them today, right in the old city. Very charming fishing market. It gets fish from the very small-scale fisheries. And it's always have a variety of different species. Every species has its own story and different, different taste that goes with the different food. So we talked about Dalmatians originating here, and we learned something else that originated here, and that's what we call the Thai, but it's not originally called the Thai, only the English and or Americans <laughs> call it the Thai. But this is one of the things that I love about traveling is that you discover so many wonderful things that you never knew or never even thought about, like the origin of the Thai. Yes, in the 17th century, there was a big war called the 30-year war. It's one of the bloodiest war in Europe, European history. And Croatian soldiers were part of that war, and they have this piece of clothing tied to his, which the tradition said that a woman will put on a man before going to the battle, just to remember he's a woman back home. So the Croatian soldiers fought in France, and a rich French people like the King Louis XIV they saw this as a fashion statement. They liked it and uh, started to wear it just uh, to show off. And that is why in the whole world the word for the tie is cravat, which comes from uh, the word croat in the French language. But somehow in the English-speaking world it's not cravat. Some people call it cravat in the English-speaking world, but it's tie. <laughs> Here's a description of peka, a signature dish of Croatia's Dalmatia region. It's meats and vegetables cooked in a dome-like pot for hours. Folks, I'm sure you're hearing the clanking of the silverware and the plates, and we are actually dining as we're getting the explanation of peka. For regular times, we would eat here the peka. The peka is the typical meal for the Dalmatian hinterland. So uh, it's different types of meat. We usually take lamb, it's mandatory, wheel also. We can put chicken, we can put pork inside. We put it all together in a, in, a, in a quite big bowl made from metal, flat bowl, and uh, we put this bowl on a preheated place. Preheated because we first make a fire on a fireplace, like fire with real woods, and we wait till this fire burns down, till we have hot coals. We would then remove the coals on the side and create a free spot, and on that free spot, which is now obviously hot, there was a fire there before, we would place the bowl with the meat on top of that hot place and we would cover it then with bell-shaped lid, iron lid, we call it the bell or peka in Croatian. We would close this bowl then with the somewhat bigger peka, we would put the hot coals on top of the peka again, so we would have then heat from underneath and heat from above. And we would then leave it, uh, well, uh, baking like this for some, depending on the meat and the fire, for some about 45 minutes. After 45 minutes, we would typically open the peka and the meat and the potatoes, which were put together at the same time at the beginning, we would then turn them around, we would flip them. What was beneath would come above. So we would stir it once, close the peka again and put again the hot coals on top and then for another up to 45 minutes. So the whole baking process is about one and a half hours. But then it comes out as a real delicatessen. 
Uh, it's slow cooked food, in fact. Yeah, it is slow cooked. It's so slow, you can also slow make cooked the bread. food. You can also make the bread like this, exactly. So on the same fireplace, mm -hmm. just without the bowl. So you put the the, the bread like on yeah, on the preheated mm -hmm. surface, full of ashes. Then, of course, it's the okay. kind of meal conversations are built around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> then, you, then, then you have time. I mean, you need to sit there because it's an open fire yeah. in the middle of the house. You cannot leave it alone. So, and it was the only source of heat in the house. It was the only, there was the warmest place in the house. Okay. And now imagine a cold day outside. You have a fire. You have time. Okay. No TV. And no show. No TV. No nothing. <laughs> no phone. Remember the number of children. <laughs> no. You know, connected, suited. Today is also a popular octopus underpecker. Well, today our friends at the seaside, they have also tried to use the underpecker. Obviously we don't have octopus. We cannot make octopus here. But they have also understood our concept of making the pecker. And they're putting somewhere, I've seen also fish under the, uh, under the pecker. So there, there are some other types of food you can put under the pecker. But I, I hope you would agree that the meat or the meat is better, but the octopus is uh, in, uh, in many restaurants. Offered, 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 absolutely, uh, absolutely. People love it. Which is also good because the, the, the way of making the pekka just gives you some flavor. It's done with open fire. Will not get better when it's colder, so please <laughs> yeah. open the buffet. Open the buffet. Uh, gnocchis. And well, what we are eating now is something completely different. But yet again, the name of this dish is Dalmatian Pastizada. So it carries the name of our region in the name of the dish. It's stewed meat. It's wheel meat. It's a two-year-old wheel, so it's, it's older than half a year, actually between one and one and a half year old. And you need to marinate it and you need, you need to prepare it in advance. So this is a, a dish which takes uh, about two days of preparation. Are there some modern pekkas today that can really bring that to indoor no. cooking to modern. No, no, no. There are indoor variants, uh, electrical ones, not to be compared. So I would say even if you tried the real Pekka once and somebody would offer you two weeks later the one from the electrical oven, if you don't know the real one, when I could sell you anything. Right. But after tasting it once, you cannot be mistaken. Now I'm in Havar, so you can hear my guide in Havar telling us about the region and some of its specialties. Is Havar more of a tourist town in the summer or do a lot of nationals come as well? Both. Um, a lot of nationals come here. Havar is very, very popular, not just worldwide, but also in Croatia. It's one of those places that you have to come by. And also you will see a lot of locals here living. And it's not uh, that uh, local people just move away or that they're not here. You will meet a lot of locals. Everybody works here. All of the restaurants that we have here are by locals and mainly restaurants that are here for 20, 30 years. So you have a family-run restaurant, so it's not lost by that, by the tourism, which is one of the, I think, best things in Hvar. So once you come here, you can see the life of the locals here in the town, especially if you go to the bars, <laughs> especially if you go earlier in the morning. Then you will see and you will hear this talk of locals. Yeah, early around 7:30, 8 in the morning, uh, locals sit here in these bars, and then you can see, you can hear the dialect, you can hear they talk, you can hear their troubles and worries, and it's usually about uh, the tourism and how the season goes or things like that. But it's very, very lively, which you can catch uh, if you wake up earlier. What is the typical drink of the town? Oh, wine. <laughs> wine. Oh, you see, my friends, they haven't seen me in months. <laughs> wine is definitely our drink. However, of course, as the tourism started, cocktails started to be a thing. So we have this uh, really, really nice drink that, I mean, mojito is very popular. Mm. But because Hvar is also very known as the Lavender Island, we have a lavender mojito. So it's kind of a thing in Hvar, yeah? They put a little bit of lavender, so it gives this flavor of Hvar town. Uh, 
to try that. We yeah, have, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, now it's closed. Yeah. But, uh, yes, I'm going to take you one time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have on our social media Thirsty Thursdays, so we like to know about different and local drinks. Yes. So we'll have to but try that But let me one. tell you a little bit also about the wine. So wine is, of course, everybody has it, yeah? But in Khvar, good quality wine was before sold to Venetians, and it wasn't something that local people were drinking. Besides that, everybody... Every family, even up to this day today, let's stop here for a second. Even up to this day today, every family that has vineyards, they produce their own wine. And so sometimes that wine is really good, sometimes not so much. <laughs> so what we have, we were putting water in wine, which of course every good winemaker will tell you no. But we did that. And also glass of wine is something that we would always have after lunch. You know, so even if you're a kid of 10 years old, you're going to have a sip of a glass of wine. With water, yeah? So we call it Bevanda. Bevanda. Yes. And if you put a little bit of sparkling water, then it's called Gemisht. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, so it's mainly with the white wine. Like a spritzer, but gemisht. Like a spritzer, gemisht, yeah. <laughs> gemisht. <laughs> okay, I wanted to show you this building. This is a... And we're going to go up the stairs if you feel mm -hmm. like it. Uh, this is one of the most important buildings here in Khvar. I told you that Venetians were coming here from the open sea and staying here in this really, really well-protected harbor and port. So they decided to build this building. This building for Venetians is very important. It's called Arsenal. Arsenal was a place where they kept their boats. So at the very beginning, oh, we have some music here. So at the very beginning, uh, this area where we are standing now was actually sea. And the boats were coming directly inside and there were no roof above. And this is where they would keep their boats. The uh, workers would come from the other side. They would repair boats and leave them there for the winter time. Yeah? So this is after the fortress, uh, the, the second building that was built and the most important building for Venetians. You're hearing lots of sounds because I'm actually taking you on tour with me, which means that we are walking and talking. And so there's a lot of background noise. You might hear some music that just started in the park. Very lovely. But we also have a construction worker who's banging away <laughs> almost almost to a beat. That's the sound that you're hearing. <laughs> yeah. Let's go up to these stairs here. I want to show you what this uh, building is, let's say, hiding a little bit. And something what, uh, that many people who actually come to Hvar do not know and then somehow they find out later and are very surprised and this is something uh, that I say about Hvar that it has so many um, hidden things it's not just a beach destination it's not just a party destination it's really really big in culture yeah? so people here as well have been living in this cultural town for centuries and centuries so it's a little bit different than your usual small town when you talk to people when you hear the history. A nice finish to my trip was at a local farm where I had Pekka and some great conversation. Let's start with a toast. He's going to say and I'm going to translate. So God give you health and wealth. To everybody under this beam because we under the beams. Where this year and God's health and the next one? Kako ono ioče ako Bog da. As it would if the God gives. Ja kažem, amen da Bog da. Vi ponavljate amen da Bog da i podižete čaše i nadravljate. So he says amen and then we says amen and cheers. Amen da Bog da. Amen da Bog da. Živjeli. Cheers to that. Živjeli. Cheers guys. Živjeli. We're here at a local house with the freshest ingredients you can find and a very warm host. What's the name of the house where we are again? Bakichevo, household Bakichevo. And the products that we are sampling? Two types of brandies and five types of liqueur plus uh, dry figs and sugar-coated orange peels. And the sugar-coated orange peels are really good. It's the really the peels that give you that bitterness, but then the sugar is really good. But I'm told that when you come, you have to have grappa before you start anything. Yeah, grappa um, or herb brandy. Grappa or herb months. brandy. Okay. And the local herbs that are used? All different types of herbs. I cannot, I cannot, say, I cannot say anything in particular, but what I can see, there's a little bit of rosemary inside. Sometimes somebody put lavender or some... 
berries they have sometimes even a bits of myrtle but there's also special myrtle myrtle liquor going on so any kind of potentially healthy herb that could be used in some kind of local medicine old-fashioned medicine is used in the brandy maybe they say no they don't say what they have here. so yeah. so this is one of the herbs <laughs> very nice yeah. and as a digestive really to help your stomach and what i loved about croatia the quaintness of it the sea the food the culture the crystal clear waters that I just can't wait to get back to, and I hope you've enjoyed today's show. When I come back, I've got the culture report. Are you planning to travel? Looking for connections with airlines, resorts, hotels, cruise ships, new fashions, or places for family reunions and getaways? Join us October 7th and 8th, 2023 for the Port of Go International Destination and Travel Expo. It's taking place at the Renaissance Convention Center in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. The Port of Go is your all-things travel expo designed for everyone to discover where to go and the best deals. To learn more, visit portofgo.com. That's P-O-R-T of go.com. The world is a book, and those who do not travel read only a page. See the world with Advantage International. Go to advantage-intl.com for a current trip or call Advantage at 1-877-428-2773. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm Javon Harley, your host and travel pro. The website, TravelingCulturati.com. Check it out and also follow us on social media and join the Travel Club. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born from the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report, continuing our conversation on Croatia. My last stop was Dubrovnik, and Nikolai in Dubrovnik literally wore me out walking the perimeter of the old town. But boy, was it worth it. So check it out here. I'm now in Dubrovnik, folks. I have traveled from Split to Brač and Tavar, and today I'm in Dubrovnik, and I am with Nikola. Yes. He's going to be guiding me here, and as I said, I'm taking you on tour with me, and Nikola has already told me just a few things about Dubrovnik, but one of the things I want to say, so let's start with the pronunciation, because in America we often say Dubrovnik, but we put the emphasis on the wrong part of the word, so what's the proper way? Dubrovnik. Dubrovnik. So we say the do first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you said that the original settlers were Byzantine and uh, Byzantine. they came from the Roman... They came from the other side of the Big Bay, from today's settlement Tsavtat, ancient Epidaurus, that was also founded first by the Greeks then and settled by the Romans. And in the 7th century, the Byzantines fled from there, running away from the Avars and the Slavs to found what we today know as Dubrovnik, or the old town Dubrovnik, and then later on became a town of Dubrovnik, of course. Now, geographically speaking, Dubrovnik is in what part of the country? Geographically, Dubrovnik is on the very end, at the very south part of Croatia, because from here there are 60 kilometers, or about 40 miles or so, was that, to the Montenegrin border. So this is the last town in Croatia. Because after Dubrovnik, there are no more official towns in Croatia. We have some small areas that we call towns, because historically they were old towns. But now they are just settlements, not a town. So we are the last town at the very south of Croatia. And before the settlers came, what about the indigenous people? Who was here? Who were the indigenous people? The first kind of modern homo sapiens here were the Illyrian tribes. The descendants of the Illyrian tribes are now living in Albania. So they are actually Albanians. But here we didn't have much foundings in the area of Dubrovnik. We have much more in Konavle region because that's where the field is. If you turn around, you can see that this area is not quite good for farming or anything like that. So that's why you did not have a town 
placed here. That's why you had Tsautat, mm-hmm. because around Tsautat you're going to see a lot of fresh water, fields where the old people can grow crops. And that's why the Greeks found their city there and the Romans came after them and then only Dubrovnik later on in the medieval times. Okay, we'll come back to you later. And again, we're doing this as it happens, so you will hear a lot of background noise. So I hope you can hear the sea in the background, that it's a wonderful sound, but occasionally you'll hear some cars drive by. So I understand Dubrovnik is the land of Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, Game of Thrones was filmed here for seven seasons. The town of Dubrovnik plays King's Landings, so the central city of power in the TV series. And we are standing right here at a spot where Cersei ends her famous walk of shame. So people who like Game of Thrones and have enjoyed watching Game of Thrones, if you do come to Dubrovnik, you also can do not just the history walk, but you can do the Game of Thrones walk around the town. Okay, I'll have to take your word for it. (laughs) But whether you're into the Game of Thrones or not, it's a beautiful walk through. And this is called The Fortress? No, this is the old town. The old town. The old town. The, the old town is a walled town. So we have a wall that goes around the town in length of 1.3 miles. So 1.3 miles long wall that goes all around the town and it's walkable. It is a museum, you have to pay the entrance. But once you get on one entrance, you can walk all around it back to the entrance you came up. So it's now an exit when you get out, of course. So, Nicola, where we started on our walk around the walled city, the old city, what was the highest point? Because we've already passed the highest point. We passed the highest point on Fort Minchata. was 49 meters above the sea level. So maybe not that high, maybe not, not, not that high, but the view that is provided from the top of that tower is just spectacular, just magnificent, and probably one of the top views for every person who come to the town, tourist, businessman, local, we all love going up to the top if you want to have some awesome photo of the town taken. And where we are now, is this considered maybe the halfway point around or this, this is the older part? This is kind of halfway point or a turning point because we did just the last climb up. On the wall we have 1,080 stairs. So imagine how beautiful leg day you have when you're climbing the wall of Dubrovnik. So now we did our last big climb and from here we only have straight and down and we are walking the south side of the wall. It's kind of a promenade because we are walking by the sea, we have a beautiful sea view, we have beautiful bars here, you can sit, have a drink, of course in normal times, currently we are still in COVID measures, but this is like you are walking the beach or you're walking the strand and you're enjoying yourself. So the wall is 1.3 miles long and there are three entrances. And if you start here from the south side first, maybe you will get too hot or too tired. And then you will see the northern side is just going up, 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 and you will decide it's just too hot, I'm going down. But don't do that because if you don't do the northern side of the wall and go that 49 meters above the sea level on that Fort Mincheta, you will lose the sights or you will not have the sights of the old town from the wall. And this area, I'm noticing that the walkway is much more narrow than where we were before. Yes. Uh, It's narrower because the cannons from the sea, from the ships, were much less powerful than the ones from the mainland because the south side is facing the sea. We are above the cliff. You can tell the listeners that the fall from here is also quite spectacular, God forbid, to happen. So that's why it's much narrower. Here, this part of the wall is between 5 and 9 feet thick or narrow, while the north and the west part, the part of the wall that is facing the mainland, they say it's sometimes up to 48 feet thick, all to stop the cannonball penetrating through the wall. So, Nicola, you were telling me about the orders of monks and how they were with the town. And, of course, there were two different sides, so I'd like you to explain that for me. We have currently in the town two fully functional monasteries, one of the Dominicans and the other of the Franciscans. Dominicans were always associated with the rich, so with the nobles and the rich merchants, and they have white robes, the white monks, because they never got dirty, because they were going into fashionable homes, providing all the necessary uh, religious 
things for the rich. While on the other hand, the Franciscans, they have their dark robes because they were with the poor. They were helping the, the common folk of the town. And one of the most important things about the Franciscans is that in 1317, they formed town's first pharmacy. Even today, in 2021, the pharmacy in the Franciscan monastery is still fully functional. So this small town in one of the hottest parts of the world, I don't mean by the heat, but by the wars waged in this area, has something continuously for 700 plus years working in the same building. So the pharmacy never left. The Franciscan monastery is still there, but of course now it's a much more modern. Also, uh, St. Clair nuns, parts of the Franciscan order took care of the orphanage children. They also had an orphanage running in the town. They're always taking care of the town's orphans. So people in the town today are much more associated with the Franciscans than with the Dominicans. But both monasteries are still alive. We have monks and they also have beautiful museums inside their monastery and cloister areas. And also the old town has been declared a UNESCO site and You were saying that it's one of the first or maybe the first socialist country to allow UNESCO to come in. Yes, former Yugoslavia in 1979 was actually the first communist socialist country that allowed, or if you want to call that uh, a country... Well, we were not actually behind the Iron Curtain. We were the first country in front of the Iron Curtain, but we didn't have democracy kind of government. We had the Socialist Communist Party in the way, but they allowed in 1979 because they were quite pro-Western thinking kind of government that they allowed UNESCO people to enter Yugoslavia and to point out the world interest locations like Dubrovnik, for instance, here, or Zadar, Split, Plitvice Lakes, very famous Plitvice Lakes and waterfalls, so something like that. So we were here in this part of the world, the first who have UNESCO-protected world heritage. We forget about how not so long ago it was, but one of the signs that we see is about the aggressions in 1991 through 1995. Was there damage to the old town? Yes. The Homeland War, as we call it, the time of the battle for independence of Croatia, the time of disintegration of Yugoslavia, the town unfortunately was hit very hard. Nobody thought in the summer of 1991 that those things will happen to Dubrovnik because Dubrovnik had no army, Dubrovnik had no military facilities. Dubrovnik was on the very end. We have no Serbian minority as big to be a majority in this area. So there was nothing in this town to show or to tell that this town might be unfortunately the target of the former Yugoslav army supported by the locals. So what happened unfortunately here in October 1991 as we are, let's say, surrounded by the neighboring countries of Bosnia-Herzegovina and Montenegro, from those areas, former Yugoslav army supported by the locals of those areas, not locals in Croatia, start the attacking the area of the town and around the town and completely besieging the town from the beginning of November 1991 till May of 1992, cutting off the electricity, the water supplies or any kind of supplies that would come in a normal, fashionable way to the town, leaving the town to defend itself and the town was very, very badly damaged. All the UNESCO protected World Heritage Site, as you just heard, 65% of the old town core was very badly damaged. Damaged. Nine buildings were completely burned down to the ground, and when the peace finally came in 1995, the reconstruction started, and it took about five and a half million roof tiles to rebuild the town roofs. So that's why when you today look at the town from the above, it's all mainly orange, but that's something that comes from recent history. Ladies and gentlemen! This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information.